Hello, and welcome to East Africa NGO Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Hill. This program is sponsored by Team in Faith, supporting women, orphans, and vulnerable children in Uganda and elsewhere in East Africa since 2012. Well, no matter from where you are listening to this podcast, I suspect you have been impacted by the novel coronavirus. The world is in its sixth month dealing with this pandemic. Maybe your community, state, or country has been locked down to flatten the curve to slow infections. Maybe you or someone you know has gotten sick and recovered from this deadly disease. I trust you're doing the needful, keeping your distance from others, wearing a mask, and washing your hands frequently. Here in America, some parts of the country are doing well with low infection rates, while others are struggling with the outbreaks. In Uganda and East Africa, site of Team and Faith projects, partners, friends, and family, the country has been in strict lockdown since March, which has helped keep a lid on the infections and spread. In this podcast, we'll learn more about how our African brothers and sisters are dealing with this global health crisis. Joining me today via Skype is Walter Mwesije. He is a health reporter with NTV Uganda, one of the top news sources in the country. Hello, Walter. Thank you for joining me on East Africa NGO. Yeah, thank you, Patrick, for having me. So, we are in the midst of a global pandemic with this uh, COVID-19. How are things in Uganda right now? Well, we currently have 1,103 cases, confirmed cases, but that is a cumulative figure over the four months period that we have been uh, with the infection around the country. Just to take you back a bit, most of our cases, actually the first cases were imported cases uh, from you know, Ugandan nationals that were coming from abroad, especially in the UAE. Uh, that's where most of the numbers that confirmed positive for COVID-19 came from. And of course, we, you know, had pockets here and there from the UK, from the Americas, you know, elsewhere in India. And that was, uh, Uganda confirmed its first case on the 21st of March. And before that, a week before, the president had, you know, given his very first address to the nation on COVID-19 and what to, you know, expect and what to do. And he had instituted, you know, some measures, including, you know, the start of the lockdown mm-hmm. at that time. And limited movements, people had to be, we had to be indoors by 7 p.m. and would not allow, you know, there was a curfew, would not allow to move until 6.30 AM. That curfew has just been lifted just recently in his last address, which was on Tuesday this week. And he has adjusted it to 9.30 p.m. And, you know, you have to start moving at least by 5.30 a.m. But of course, this was after complaints. You know, as he phased out the lockdown or as he eased the lockdown, people started increasing on the road. So there was a lot of traffic jam. Even when you would expect people to be home, people would come to work to town and they'd had to leave town by probably midday or, you know, 2 p.m. For somebody who's come to town at 10 a.m., it really wouldn't make sense for you to leave at midday or 2 because you still want to beat curfew. So 
you know, the first days people got stuck and they were arrested, but it couldn't work out. So police let everybody start moving, you know, continuously going to their homes and keeping them at the police stations. Yeah, it was March when things started shutting down across America as well. So you say that um, it was right around the 21st of March that uh, the president instituted a strict lockdown. What has been the public reaction? I mean, have people, I, I assume, you know, many people have complained about it like they have around the world. No one wants to be shut down. Yeah. But um, has it has it worked? Do you think it's uh, helped keep the uh, the spread of infections under control? Yeah, well, there's uh, quite a bit of explanation, you know, uh, from the ground, actually, and from the data that has been processed by scientists here. 21st March is when we registered our first case. And, you know, since then, the lockdown was on. After that, you know, everything was closed. The airport was closed. All the borders were closed. Up to now, actually, the borders are still closed, save for Ugandans who are returning home, only Ugandans who are returning home. But of course, this is also being done in phases. So when, you know, those very strict measures were put in place, uh, the explanation was that, and this from the Ministry of Health and the president and, you know, the team of scientists on COVID-19, that we needed to, you know, slow down the transmission and understand where or, you know, the way it is manifesting into the country. And this gave, you know, some positive results. Of course, when the president was, you know, he's addressed in the four months period, he's addressed the nation 19 times. Wow, and that's quite a few. This, mean, yeah, this means that he, he was almost in our faces each and every day. And, you know, the first time or the first three months, people took this infection as seriously as, you know, they talked about it. And, you know, people were not moving. Of course, there were complaints about, you know, livelihoods that had been affected. We have street kids. We have, you know, people who work to earn their daily food each and every day. So the government put up some interventions to distribute food to 1.5 million people in Wakiso and Kampala district. Kampala, which is the capital city, but Wakiso is, you know, like a very large, large district that also has some areas in Kampala inside it. For example, if you go to, you know, Entebbe, which is in Kampala, it is not counted as that in Kampala district. It's in Wakiso district, but, you know, the borders probably will have to be changed. It's a very another long process. We have to find our heritage from the UK. But mm. that aside, you know, the cases were were coming in quite slowly. And the only cases that we had at the time, between March and and May, the major cases that we had were from were from people who had returned from abroad. So between May June, July, you know, this is the current period now. Many of the cases, actually most cases, were from Tanzania, Kenya, and uh, South Sudan. Your, because your neighbors. The, mm -hmm. Your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. When, when the president instituted a lockdown, he only did not lock down goods 
that were coming into the country via the border. So those were like trucks, you know, uh, delivering goods to, because you know, Uganda is, is a landlocked country, but also it is like, it's, you know, a country that all, most of the countries around it use to access their goods. Rwanda, Democratic Republic of Congo, South Sudan, Burundi, you know, so he couldn't lock out the trucks. And of course, the explanation from him was that we need to, you know, continue getting some revenue as a country. Of course, after some time, this explanation did not make sense to people. After the cases kept on increasing from our neighbors. And, you know, that was around uh, May when the population, you know, became really, really trying to think of a word, but they annoyed. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. They became annoyed <laughs> and, you know, agitated mm-hmm. that we are suffering in the lockdown, yet we don't have any new cases from around the country. And all the people that are coming in as confirmed cases are foreigners. So it wasn't really spreading among the population so much because of the lockdown. Are you, are you using masks? Are masks uh, required or are they widely used? Yeah, so between between our first case and you know the month of May, you would say our curve, uh, which the explanation was that the the lockdown was to flatten the curve. The mm-hmm. curve was flat at the time, but when these cases from you know truck drivers from outside the country started coming in, then the curve really stopped making sense. It kept on going up and up, and you know people became agitated about it. At the time, we were not told to use masks because anyway, there were limited movements. It was only a few people they called essential services that you know were working, including us journalists mm-hmm. and some service providers. Yeah, but uh, when uh, the president is the lockdown to allow such, you know the population get back to work, it is now mandatory that you have a mask on you if you're going out in a public space or a public place. And, you know, our private cars can only carry four people, including uh, the driver. And all of you must have masks. The public service vehicles carry half the number they are supposed to carry. For example, we have taxis here, which are 14-seaters. The Matatus, yes. Uh-huh. And so yeah, those yeah. are, so they can only carry half their... Um, yeah, wow. yeah. Well, that's so going to impact their uh, incomes and their livelihoods there, I would think. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it will surely because, and of course, the users will, you know, are feeling the pinch because these guys have, you know, almost tripled or, you know, hiked the transport by four times from the normal prices. For example, I stay in Namugongo. The usual price we used to pay from where I stay in a taxi up to town is about 1,000 Uganda shillings. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's less than a dollar. Yeah, but now, if I'm supposed to move from here to town, from Namugongo where I stay to town, I'll have to probably, you know, part with about $2. And that's just for going. So a return journey would have to cost me $4. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is quite expensive. Sure. Now, you've talked about um, life in the city there. What's it like upcountry or in the villages? Has the impact been as harsh? Do they feel it as much or do they think this the, the COVID is just some sort of uh, something that's out there in the cities? Have the rural areas, the villagers, have they been impacted? There are two things uh, when we talk about the villages, because there are districts that are on the borders. And then there are mm-hmm. districts that, you know, are not in the borders, but of course they are definitely far away from the city. Mm-hmm. And the difference here is the districts on the borders are a bit, you know, up and going. The fact that, you know, they are close to the borders, there is a lot of business around there. So there are village districts, but they're not much of that village. There's some activity going on. And for those districts, actually, they're about 45 now. They are still under strict measures and a, a lockdown. There is no private or public transport services going on there because they think they are the cases or the you know they will lead to community transmission if we let them open but in the villages that are not close to the borders for the last 3 days I was in some districts you know up country and you know life is going on as usual actually even bars that side were open salons were open unlike here in the city so it's not been much of a very big thing for them. Okay. It's a village, yeah. But they know about the infection because the information was passed over all over the country. Sure. Yeah, it's those border districts that I'm familiar with, at least in the west and the southwest, Kabale, Kanungu, yeah. Kasese, Renzori. And so yeah. yeah, there there are you know direct routes into either Wanda or Congo. And yeah. so yeah, I can see a lot of uh, transport. Now, your schools and, and most places have been closed, so that's that has to have uh, an impact there. You know, schools have been closed here in America, and there's quite a bit of uh, discussion about how and when to open them. You know, the government may want to open them, but I don't know how confident people are in, you know, sending their kids off to school at this time. There's you know, a lot of people just don't want to participate just yet because we're just not certain, you know, what the impact can be since the, the virus is still out of control. Our schools remain shut in Uganda, correct? Yeah. Schools, bars, recreational areas are still under lockdown. You know, gyms, spas, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Same closed, yeah. it's, only, it's only recently uh, after his... Uh, address on Tuesday, the president allowed salons to open, but also with very strict measures. Everybody working in the salon must have a face mask and a face shield. And of course, adding on two lines, you know, washing hands, sanitizer, and all that. And these ones just opened recently. Also, we had a kids or you'd say shopping malls that had been closed and they were also permitted to work after inspection to verify that they won't be 
you know, the cause of a virus, uh, you'd say this time a viral transmission. Mm-hmm. And so those moles that were allowed to work only have, you know, to use one entry and exit. Unlike the previous days where you'd uh, cut through a mall and go into another building. So there's no more crisscrossing through the buildings. And there's uh, no standing in the corridors. We had people who sell from corridors in our buildings, in the, in the shopping arcades. All those have been told not to be there. The schools remain closed. And he said, you know, they will, they will make a big announcement by September when we are supposed to begin our third term. Now, when the lockdown started in March, our school system here had only gone a few days into the first term. Uh, the students here study, that is from, you know, elementary to primary to A level, that is S6. So all that group studies in terms, so they do term one, term two, term three in a year. Mm-hmm. So now, this year, by the time the lockdown started and all that corona thing, students had only gone in just a few days into first term. The government says they will make an announcement before third term starts in September. But, you know, it's been tricky because when they were listening around, they had South Africa open schools and, you know, over 200 or close to 200 pupils contracted. COVID-19 and up to, I think, 50 teachers still contracted the infection. So things like that make it a very tough, tough. It sounds like a, just a lost, a lost year for the students, or at least two, more than two terms and, and maybe even a third. But one of the um, surprising things about Uganda's handling of the COVID is that while you've kept a pretty good lid on the number of infections. Deaths have been very minimal. Been no deaths. Until, yeah. until, until Friday, when it was announced that we had uh, recorded our first COVID-19 death, and this was a female from eastern Uganda. And it is said that she has a partner who lives in Kenya. And they assume this partner probably could have been the one who spread the infection. And when she went to the hospital, you know, they say she presented with signs and symptoms of COVID-19 and died, you know, just hours later or a day later. The first time the ministry, of course, wasn't very sure. So they had to test, do a post-mortem. And it was, you know, confirmed that she was infected with COVID-19. And of course, anybody who dies with COVID-19 you know, is registered as a COVID-19 death. So we have registered our first death. But we have been very stringent as a country, of course, from the address of the president's, the, the, the president's speeches. And there's been a lot of awareness, actually, that has been done. And that's why I say that the president has been in our faces almost every day to talk to us about the infection. So people actually listened and learned a lot. You'd go to any shop anywhere across the country and you'd find you'll find they have, you know, a jerrican and some soap 
for you to wash hands before you can enter. You know, they've sealed off uh, all the entries, so you have to wait from a distance. So people have actually understood that the infection is there and it's real. The only challenge came when, you know, we were not recording any death and people thought now it was a hoax. And of course, there's all conspiracy theories that, you know, it's not true. And of course, some also emerged from your country there when people were accusing Bill Gates of, you know, manufacturing this. So there are some people who go on to start interpreting such messages that come through social media, even without, you know, a single bit of truth in them. Yeah, that is, um, that's a, that's a big problem. There's just so many channels and you know, so many opportunities for people to, you know, raise conspiracy theories. And so it, it really confuses a lot of people who, who aren't very meticulous about researching on their own or, or, or picking reliable sources for information. So it's, yeah, it's a difficult time for sure. And it just requires people, you know, being patient, but it's, it's hard to do when people can't go to work, you know, in uh, East Africa or even in the USA and people are, are, are certainly getting frustrated. Africa, or I should say Uganda has mostly a, a fairly young and healthy population. I say that because having lived there a number of years, most of the population is like under 40 years old. I yeah. mean, the, the, the average or the average age and median age are, is, is quite young. So that may have something to do with the way, you know, deaths have been kept low because the, uh, the people are much more healthy. In the U.S., we, we skew as a, an older population. Or we have, I mean, it's, it's the older people who've been leading the way in uh, infections and deaths, but it has, it has cut a whole cross-section. I mean, every age group has been impacted, but not to the extent that the older people are, or who have pre-existing conditions, which compounds their problems. So what's, the, what's your, your best guess on how the uh, lockdown and when, how soon do you think the government is going to ease restrictions to allow life to get somewhat back to normal there? Cases are still increasing, and now we have some pockets of you know, community transmission from some of our districts in uh, northern Uganda, in Amuru district, in Arua, you know, even here in Kampala, we have you know, some pockets of community transmission. Not so many, but you know, every day when they release the results of the previous tests, we have about five cases that are from within the communities, and you know, that's what the Ministry of Health is still trying to establish where these cases from. But you, you'd asked about, you know, the general age uh, or age structure of our country, uh, which is a very young population. The median is probably 35. And I would like to tell you that the lady who lost her life is, you know, was 38 years. So she wasn't that old. The scientists also told me personally, when I was interacting with them, that we have a patient who is about 28, a gentleman, and he's in, in a very bad condition. But of course, he has some underlying illnesses and which the doctors think the underlying illnesses would probably be, you know, the cause of his death if he doesn't survive. 
but we've had you know over 970 recoveries and the explanation was that most of these people are very young and strong you know people they have a very strong immunity but of course we've been also using uh, some you know treatment including hydroxychloroquine uh, before it was uh, the very first days when they had patients for COVID-19, it was part of the treatment regimen that was being given to the patients. But after some time, of course, there were questions raised on the side effects and it was stopped. But we, we are now going into clinical trials by our scientists to see if it's effective. And they say when they do it in vitro, they've seen very positive results, but they are still trying to establish if, you know, it does the same in the, in, in, in the human body. And also uh, they are collecting blood from the people who have recovered to use their plasma to be able to treat, you know, other COVID-19 patients. And, mm. you know, this thing together with uh, South Africa, which is manufacturing, which is trying to make a vaccine. Yeah, in Africa, it's the first country. Well, it, it surely is an incredible time. And speaking on behalf of my wife, who's from Toro yeah. in uh, Renzori, I don't know when she, when we will be able to travel back there. I mean, 2021 is certainly out of the question. Or 2020, yeah. I should say, is out of the question. Maybe 21. I know uh, Emirates, and, and we would fly through Dubai, UAE. And of course, that would raise flags in Entebbe, but until Entebbe even allows flights from uh, UAE, you know, we, we don't really have much of a chance to get back home. So hopefully, you know, the next 12 months, we'll make some progress. There'll be some antivirals and other treatments that can bring this under control here in the North America and also in, in Africa. So life can resume. But it seems to me, though, many routine parts of life just aren't going to be the same. You know, here in America, a lot of uh, work that would normally be in offices and places are, are now done remotely. I mean, because we have, you know, great internet capability here, much greater than Uganda has. So many people are working from home. They may never need or be required to go back to an office again, except for, you know, scheduled meetings or something. It's, it's, it's really changing the landscape here. And of course, one of the biggest impacts has been with the airline industry, which has been virtually grounded around the world. And getting that off the ground again is going to take years, I think. Years, I think. Well, Walter, I really appreciate your time and expertise in explaining the situation from East Africa, one of my, East Africa and Uganda in particular, one of my favorite places. Um, let me just remind our listeners that uh, you are a health reporter for NTV Uganda, and no matter well, wherever you are listening to this podcast, you can stream NTV News on, NT, on NTV's YouTube channel, NTV Uganda's YouTube channel, and you can get a live stream. Uh, they have two broadcasts, uh, a uh, a um, Luganda and 
the local language version at 7 p.m. East African time, which is 10 hours ahead of uh, where I'm at on the west coast of the U.S. And then they have a 9 p.m. Well, there's two broadcasts, one English version and one um, the local language. So they can, they can look for you. Walter Mwesajay doing a health report during the week on live TV. Once again, yeah. Walter, thank you very much for your participation. All right. Very grateful to help out. I'll be available for any other questions probably and clarifications if there is. Sounds very good. We'll, uh, we will talk again. Once again, that was Walter Mwesije, a health reporter with NTV Uganda in Kampala. And just to update some numbers that Walter gave us earlier in this podcast, um, as of August 8th, Uganda has experienced 1,267 cumulative cases of coronavirus, and there now have been six deaths. Thank you for listening today. If you are able and interested, make a donation to support our projects involving women, orphans, and vulnerable children. You can visit our website at teaminfaith.org. I'll be back again soon to introduce you to another organization that is helping our brothers and sisters in East Africa. For East Africa NGO, I'm Patrick Hill.